Hey, everybody, this is Chuck from the Chuck and Brad podcast. I hope you're having a great day. Um, this is the second uh, in our series of archive episodes with Rhode Island superstars. That's what we're calling it. Um, you know, the Chuck and Brad podcast is releasing new episodes uh, as audio and video episodes every Thursday um, through chuckandbradpodcast.com as well as on the RI Food Fights Facebook and Instagram pages. But also, for the R.I. Food Fights audience to get familiarized with our podcast, we are re-releasing some of our archive episodes every Monday, and this is the second iteration of one of our archive episodes. This episode is actually not that old. It's from March of 2019, so just a little bit over a year ago, uh, where Brad and I sat down with Robert Uramian, who is the owner of The Time Capsule, uh, which is Rhode Island's uh, premier comic book and collectible store. Um, and we had a great time with him. It's funny because we've been going to the Time Capsule for years. If you know about it, let me pull up the actual exact address because I don't know off the top of my head. Um, you know, there's a Time Capsule in Seekonk, Massachusetts, which is at uh, 1732 Fall River Avenue in Seekonk, Mass. And then there's a Time Capsule in uh, Cranston, which is kind of the main store at 537 Pontiac Avenue in Cranston. Um, I've been going there for God knows, I don't know, probably more than 10 years at this point. Um, and I never sat down with Robert before this point in time. We kind of just said hi here and there, had a loose understanding of who he was, who he had a loose understanding of who I was. And uh, then I reached out to him and I was like, let's do an interview. And man, oh man, am I glad we did because we went to the uh, the back room of the time capsule and he just sat down and told us his whole story. And it is awesome. So yeah, this is uh, an archive episode, uh, like I said, from last year around March. Um, Robert's a great guy and, uh, you know, everyone's, uh, doing everything they can during this crazy time. So if you do want to support the time capsule at this point in time, um, they are doing curbside pickups at the time capsule. Um, they're doing mail delivery out of the Cranston store Monday through Friday, 11 AM to 7 PM. And they also have their eBay store open as well. Uh, and their eBay name is of times past. That's O F T I M E S. P-A-S-T, of times past. So check them out and support them. This place is great. I love this interview. Um, yeah, enjoy our interview with Robert Uramian. I'm comedian, writer, and filmmaker Chuck Staten from the punk band Senior Discount. And I'm writer and comedian Brad Rohr from the Providence Improv Guild. And this is the Chuck and Brad Podcast. All right, we're here with Robert Uranian. You got it right, Brad. I nailed it. (laughs) You got got it right. I've never been more nervous to say a name in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I know. I don't know why. It's like, what'd you say? It was like uranium. Yeah. That's very close. Right. But uh, that was in my head. And I'm like, I'm going to say Robert Uranium, which is not correct. <laughs> no. It's Robert Uranian. And Robert is the owner of the Time Capsule. Uh, there's a store in Cranston, Rhode Island, as well as a store in Seekonk, Massachusetts. That is correct. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you decided to do this. We've wanted to have you on probably for three years. I know we didn't start talking about it until last year. But we keep a spreadsheet on the podcast of the people that we want to get on the show. And you've been on for so long. Before I, I was like friends with you on Facebook, I just had Time Capsule Owner. You yep. know? Um, but yeah, thank you for doing the show, man. I'm, I'm honored to be asked. Uh, I think I think it's going to be, uh, be really fun because the Time Capsule is, um, 
a comic book and collectible store that I've been going to since God, how long? Since before I met you, right? Possibly, yeah. You we, you definitely told me about it. There was a big sale, uh, like you know, a, a back issue sale, and we went, and we were at the Seacon location for what felt like forever. <laughs> As you pawed through all their comic books. <laughs> well, like I, know, I just mentioned spreadsheets. I'm the type of guy who makes spreadsheets of like the books I want and stuff like that. So I'll just print that out and I'll take it into the store. Um, but when, when did the time capsule open? So the current incarnation of the store here in Cranston, yeah. this November will be 16 years. Wow. I was going to say, because 10 years ago I met Brad and I was going there before I met Brad. So I was got that and thought so. And Seacock's been open probably a little under 10. Right. Uh, there was a Time Capsule Comics that was in Warwick from 93 through 98. Wow, okay. And then I took some time off, did some other things. Yeah. Had some other businesses. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. came back around in 2003. That's awesome. Well, we're going to go back to the beginning um, and uh, kind of hear the whole story. And I'm interested in this. This is one of the things I love is when I find a, you know, a business, especially one that's around me that I have a personal relationship with, and eventually I get the story of the business. So... You know, you're the owner of this uh, comic book and collectible store that's that's the premier comic and collectible store in the area that people talk about and know about. When did you, uh, I, want, I guess I, let's go back to when did you get interested in comic books? That's what I want to know. I would say when I was five or six, I would go to yard sales with my father. That's the best. He loved to buy broken electronics and then fix them. He oh, was an okay. engineer. Oh, okay. And that was his hobby, was fixing broken things, TVs, radios, anything like that. Yeah. So uh, probably at a yard sale when I was five or six, I saw a pile of Richie Rich comics, bought them, and that got me started reading comics. And then for probably five years, I would just buy up tons of kids' comics Probably in the seventh or eighth grade, a friend of mine that I met in middle school put in front of me X-Men comics. Yeah. All right. And then the Wolverine miniseries by Frank Miller. It yeah. blew my mind. And that's when things really started heating up with me collecting comics. Oh, yeah. When I was when I was really young, I realized at a later age, like I had these X-Men posters and I had like a lot of action figures. But I realized that when I was a kid, I really just cared about the art and cared about the characters and the figures. And I, people were like, I was like, oh, I love the X-Men. I love Spider-Man. And people would say like, well, what, what did you read when you were growing up? And I'm like, I don't know. Just like whatever whatever had the characters I liked, I would sit and look at the the pictures and kind of read through the books. Um, did you become like a like a hardcore collector with obviously the long boxes and bagging and boarding everything right away? I did. I became obsessed with the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd already had a paper route at that time, but I probably got one right after that. Mm-hmm. And I was delivering 200 papers a day after school. And it uh, was solely to- Evening paper route. Ah, yeah. I wish. I wish I had one of those. <laughs> Did you have a daytime one? I had a morning one, yeah. yeah. Well, I ended up with the morning okay. one because I got the opportunity to do a morning route. So I would get up in the morning, deliver yep. 200 papers- Go to school, come home, then deliver another two hundred. Oh, Jesus! And uh, at what age? I was probably thirteen Damn. or so, Damn. maybe at that time. That's I mean, I was landscaping with my cousin. I, I was, I was running. I was like a runner at auctions. Right. Mm. I would do anything to make money because I was obsessed with collecting like every Marvel comic that was ever printed. Okay. So you were obsessed with making money just to support your comic habit. Right. And by the time <laughs> I was 15 and a half, mm-hmm. 
I had almost a complete Marvel collection. Wow. I was only missing about eight books. I mean, probably the, some of the most expensive books. Right. Wow. But I had an X-Men one, and I'll never forget, I saw an ad in the journal. They used to be the Yankee Trader where people yeah. put these little two-line ads, and there was a guy that was going to Brown University. He had advertised a copy. He wanted $1,000 for it, and I had saved up 1000 bucks. And I said, Mom, can you drive me over to the east side? I want to buy a comic book from a guy. So she didn't think anything of <laughs> right. it. But she was already used to take me down to Slash Excalibur in downtown Providence and yeah, Iron yeah. Horse Comics that was on Hope Street. Right. So she drives me over, and I go inside this like apartment complex, knock on this guy's door, go inside. He shows me the X-Men 1. I pull out 1000 bucks. I give it to him. I come back. <laughs> And she's driving home, and she's like, what'd you get? I said, oh, my God, Ma, it's an X-Men number one. She's like, oh, is that a good one? I said, yeah, I've been really dying. It's like the book I wanted the most in the world. And uh, I, I really can't remember if she asked me what the price was or not. I don't think she ever actually asked me how much it was. She's finding out on this podcast right now. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, so she didn't ask, and so because I, I was expecting the story to be like her slamming on the brakes and turning around to get that money back. No, I mean she, I, I earned it. Yeah, right. It's and your money. The funny reason that I had all those paper roots is at one point I'd asked my father for an allowance. Yeah, he goes, sure. You want an allowance? You got to do this chore and this, this, right. and this. And I figured out how much he was going to give me for those chores, and I was like, forget <laughs> it. I'll just go get a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was. I mean, I once I got my driver's license, then it even got even crazier because I would go around and pick up newspapers because they used to be able to go sell paper by the pound. Um, so I'd go around on garbage days to different neighborhoods. I'd fill up my, my uh, station wagon and just, you know, go cash that in for money. Wow. But when I was about 15 and a half, I really got interested in golden age comics. Mm. Okay. And so what I decided was I was going to start selling off some of my silver age comics to raise money to get golden age comics. So I got a booth or a table at the Providence Convention, the comic book convention that used to be at the Holiday Index of the Civic Center. Yeah. The guys who ran the show, there was a store on North Main, no, Middle Spring Avenue in North Providence, the Anatone Brothers. Mm. They ran the show, and they were so impressed that a 15-year-old kid wanted to set up. They gave me the very first table by the entrance. Oh, wow. So I set up. I'm selling my comics. A guy walks in that day with a big brown paper bag full of comics. Yeah. And he comes to my table because I'm the first one there. He goes, hey, you interested in buying? So I looked just to see if there was anything I wanted. I looked through the bag and there wasn't any Golden Age comics, but I recognized that there was some valuable stuff in the bag. So I asked the guy, how much do you want for the bag? And he told me a price that was pretty reasonable. And I'm already running the numbers in my head. I'm like, all right, I don't want these for myself, but I, I buy these. I can resell and make money and get money to buy the Golden Age comics. Right. And that was it. That started yeah. me off on becoming a dealer. That's so funny. And I've been doing, I did conventions all throughout high school. Did you, did you like basically like take a weekend and go and stay over in different states and stuff like that? I did conventions all over Rhode Island, Connecticut, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Once in a while in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. but they were generally one day sales. Yeah. So I'd get up or, and usually on Sundays. So I'd get up early, however I needed to drive to that convention, yeah. set up, pack up and then come back home. Did you have, did you actually, did you call it like anything like the time capsule or did you call it anything at your booth? I did. Um, Uramians, Uranium Comics. <laughs> 
That's no, cool. I like that. I don't know. That, that would have been funny, but I don't know exactly where the name came from. Yeah. But it popped into my head of times past. Okay, okay. cool. Yeah. And I had a, a Marvel coloring book. Yeah. And I cut out a picture of Professor X. I stenciled in the words of times past and I put hours and I stuck that to my bedroom door. <laughs> And people would come. People would come over my house and buy comics <laughs> at my house. This is the picture perfect story that I was creating in my head. I love this. How old were you at this point in time when you were doing that? Sixteen. That's amazing. 17. Oh, I love that. Um, the spirit of an entrepreneur. The funny follow up to that is, and it's much later on. But when eBay first came into existence, mm-hmm. I mean that's a whole nother story. But. When I decided to start selling on eBay, I wanted the name The Time Capsule, right. Time Capsule Comics. This is in October of 98. Those names had already been taken. Yeah. So I ended up using Of Times Past as my eBay name, sure. and I've had that name now for 21 years wow. on eBay. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's still in my I, life. I, I have a question. Like, as you're inviting strangers into your home, uh, any concern about safety or any anything like that? <laughs> Most of them were not strangers. Okay. They were yeah. people that I had met at the comic book conventions in Providence. Okay. Or they were kids I was going to high school with. Right. Yeah. They were all there was never adults. It was right. always okay. other teenagers. I, I just I yeah. you know, when you told the story about going to meet this Brown University student, I'm like, man, the idea of and and maybe it's just because it's two thousand nineteen and the world is fear. Uh, but like the idea of like, all right, well, I'm going to send this kid into this stranger's apartment. And like, you know, I just picture your mom, like she's out, like reading a reader's digest in the car and you're being brutally murdered inside. You like die for the door and you get pulled back in and she doesn't notice because she's like laughter, the best medicine. That's a grisly origin story. It sure is. Well, it didn't actually happen. So the thing is my parents did not really worry about me much. Number one, I grew very, I was a big kid. Okay. I was 5'11 by the time I was 15. All right. yeah. I practically had a full beard by the time I was 16. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the liquor stores over on Federal <laughs> Hill were, were selling me booze when I was 16 nice. and 17 years old. Yeah. And I grew up in Mount Pleasant, part of Providence. Right. And the pastime of Mount, Pe- Mount Pleasant at that time was fighting. Yeah. I mean, I, we Did you get a lot of fights? Tons of fights. Really? Wow. Just tons. like fist fights with people? Oh, I, I had to have been in 100 street fights. <laughs> What? Like yeah. over over like real important issues about or, who's or the, like who's the best X Men? Who's yeah. the most X? No, none of the <laughs> actually. The only fight that ever occurred because of comic books was there was a short time that I had a partner. Yeah. In my comic book business. Yeah. And he and I got into an argument at one point. I made him actually sign a contract that we dissolving our partnership. I still have that paper someplace. <laughs> In case he ever comes after you for the time capsule profits. But we had gotten into all kinds of fights and arguments, and he wasn't a very big guy. So he, he couldn't physically do anything to me. Right. Yeah. And I think one day uh, I egged him from head to toe. <laughs> and as a revenge. Oh, okay. Yeah. As a revenge. His older sister's boyfriend, one day when I was walking home from school, I was probably only like two blocks away from my house. This Camaro speeds up. Always a Camaro. Slams its brakes on in the middle of the street. And someone who was much older and bigger than I jumps out of this car and kicked the living shit out of me at like 3.30 in the afternoon on my street. Oh, my God. 
I've probably taken three really bad beatings in my life. Yeah. And that was one of That's them. That's three too many. Oh, my God. So you get into what kind of stuff did you usually fight about if it's not about business partnerships? <laughs> I would and hang eggies. around with people who were just troublemakers. Yeah. Okay. And so they, they were looking for fights. I know. A feeling. lot of times. And one of my friends, he was kind of short. Yeah. And I used to always, he had little guy syndrome. Oh, yeah. So he always was constantly trying to prove himself. Yeah, he's ready. And it was like that movie, My Bodyguard. Yeah. He had me with him almost all the time. So he would talk smack and all kinds of crazy shit to people because he knew that I would stick up for him and and help him fight yeah if it came down to it yeah um i mean sometimes a lot of times it was girls yeah they used yeah. to be school dances at olp mm-hmm. and you know olp what does that stand for our lady of, our lady of, of providence. providence yeah yeah yeah. we might you know all the kids in mount pleasant we'd all go down there and go yeah. to the dance and then somewhere along the night somebody in our group would say the wrong thing yep. to somebody yeah. else yeah. and the next thing you know there's like 15 kids fighting it out in the middle of the street man this is so oh that's so funny it's it's funny because i had a very small amount of time in my life where i had some of that in me and it was around 2003 well 2004 2005 um i we used to my friends got rented a house in warren rhode island that's where I, that's where i grew up and we were all in college at rick at rhode island college and uh we would take the bus from their house which was right off the main street to club hell and go to 80s night every tuesday and we would always get into these huge, huge fist fights with tons of people. And it was like that, where like some of them were ready to fight, where you bump into someone and you're like, hey, hey. And you're like the person's, you know, ready. They want to fight and stuff like that. And I got to say, it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to fight all the time. Did you have fun doing it? I loved it. Oh, it's great. No, I love, the thing is, I, I wanted to be Andre the Giant. Yeah. That's who I wanted to be when I grew up. And I thought at the rate I was growing yeah. that I would be Andre the the next Andre the Giant. But unfortunately, I stopped growing at 5'11 when I was 15. Yeah. But, you know, I was a monster yeah. at that time. Did you ever try to choke slam someone? <laughs> oh, I have. Yes. I mean, I've suplexed people in the middle of Hope Street. It's, you know, That's I've... amazing. <laughs> I love to hear that. What an unexpected turn. Yeah. It was great. So these, I want to know, these bad beatings, how bad do they get? Did you like break your nose or like... The only bone in my body <clears throat> yeah. that I've never broken yeah. is my nose. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. I've broken my legs twice each. From I fighting? Broke... No. Skiing. Not really from... Uh, I broke one arm from fighting. I got hit with a baseball bat. Whoa. What? Someone hit you with a baseball bat? <laughs> what is bat? going yeah. on? Oh, my God. Yeah. Did you did what happened with that fight? Why did he hit you with a baseball bat? Because that's a serious, you know, a weapon is changes a fight. F- fighting with your hands is almost like there's something that can kind of be innocent about it, but weapons make it really. Oh, I different. know. I've gotten slashed a few times with knives in these fights. Yeah. Damn. And this is about stuff like girls when you're in your teenage years. Girls are just. Yeah, like I said, a lot of the times it wasn't even me that was instigating. It was like other people, and I was just with them, and I just got kind of just got you just got to have your friends away. back. Well, yeah. you know, actually, one time that I got I got slashed on my arm. I was walking into the Lincoln Mall, yeah, and there was a girl who I really liked who lived up in Cumberland, and I was going up to visit, and I stopped at the Lincoln Mall to pick something up. I'm walking into the Lincoln Mall. And this pickup truck comes flying out of nowhere. Yeah. Guy jumps out the back, slashes my arm, looks at me, goes, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were someone else. Jumps back in the pickup and just drives away. Wow. 
I, I drive up to her house. My mom's bleeding. And her mom's like wrapping it all up with gauze, and you know. And she's like, "What happened?" I'm like, "Mistaken identity." <laughs> <laughs> Simple case, harmless, harmless case of mistaken identity. I was just, I was just walking to Aladdin's castle. <laughs> I don't, crazy. Was that was that a video game? Is that an arcade chain up there? That was that Aladdin's castle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know if that was out east as well as uh, in the Midwest. That's crazy. That's, wow. so, that's so interesting. All this fighting growing up. That's funny because you seem very even keeled you don't seem like a hothead i've calmed down a lot <laughs> well there was certain things that happened in my life a when i turned 18 i realized i was legally responsible for my actions right, right, so right, i right. really stopped a lot of stuff when yes. i turned 18 right and then uh once i bought the building here in cranston and i had something to lose and oh get sued yeah. Over, yeah 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 then i like that even like yeah. Reel me back in more. That makes sense because if because you, you got to be careful about people suing exacting you. their desperate exactly. revenge or whatever. Oh yeah, or suing you. Yeah, I guess that's true. You were worried about like the time capsule being egged head to toe. <laughs> no, I was. Yeah. I mean, well, we, we, we did get egged a few times back in the early days here. Yeah. Do you know who did it? No, I never. Really? Did it. I'll bet it's your former business partner. Well, I'm talking about that, serious. That's his true revenge. I never got mad at anybody who egged my store right. because. I was a notorious egger when I was yeah. a teenager. Egging is egging is pretty innocent, but like I th- we just watched a documentary where a guy got revenge on somebody else by burning down his business. So like yeah. to me, I, if you are like I don't want to have any of these weapon fighting enemies just out there, even the mistaken identity guy, that makes <laughs> sense because you don't want to be. Uh, you want to know the greatest day of the year to go egging? Yeah, take a get. You want to take a guess? Is it Halloween? Because that's my guess. Not Halloween. Ooh, What's April it? Fool's Day. Easter. Valentine's Day. Oh, you know why? Because you egg somebody you don't like on Valentine's Day, they just blame somebody else. Yeah, they think it's an ex. Exactly. A scorned ex. They, you, you'll ne- they'll never figure it's you. That's really funny. I love that. That's great. So, so you're, you know, you're fighting your way through your youth. <laughs> do, you, do you think it had, I mean, just, you know, this is kind of an obvious question. Like, you love comic books. You love superheroes. Did you think that fighting was just cool? I didn't think, I didn't correlate the two together. Yeah. I don't think it had anything to do. It was just... You know, I was a fat kid growing up, yeah. still kind of a fat adult most of the time. I've lost weight and <laughs> gained it back. But, uh, you know, after I got picked on a few times, my father, like, taught me how to box mm, right. to defend myself. He taught me a very important lesson, which I always uh, stuck by, was never start a fight, mm-hmm. but finish them. Yep. Yeah. So I, I have never it's a good hit somebody lesson. first. Yeah. I always let somebody else. You know, even when I would get into fights with kids at school, I knew that if I hit somebody first... I would be in trouble. So right. I would be like, listen, I'll give you first shot. Oh, yeah. That way they started it. Yeah. You know, I agree with that 100%. I just think about that because, like, in my personal life, like, if they need to get blood from me at the doctors, yeah. I hate needles. And I'll think of, like, like oh, like Wolverine wouldn't care about this needle. And I'll try to think of that. I really will. Do you think, did I ever tell you that before? No. I really think about, I'm like, not surprised. like, people's toughness levels right. that I look up to. And I want to think about that. You know, when it's like a mildly chilly in my apartment, I'm like, you know what? The pilgrims went through worse than this. Really? You think about that? Yeah, of the course. Pilgrims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look up to the pilgrims? I, yeah, I, yeah. I admire their hardiness. All right. Um, compared to mine. Yeah, I would just like to know for anybody listening, please don't challenge me. I don't. <laughs> I don't ever want to have to hit anybody ever again. Yeah, and right. Those days are... Yeah. I'll be 50 soon. and Yeah, long gone. Those yeah, days are far those, behind you. Well, I have other people who do it for me. <laughs> we, I'm not getting involved Well, in we that. invited our you friend Butterbean to be on the podcast tonight. <laughs> you know, we'd fight for you. We'd be, If you need someone beat up, well, give us a call. I, I will Chuck call the police. <laughs> no, I'll beat him up. No, I've no, got, no. I got a few guys that had to bail out of jail. And they yeah, owe me, so... Right, that's fair. I like that. Keep that, you know, keep a little list of that. Um, so that's awesome. So you're an entrepreneur and a street fighter and a teenager. <laughs> um, 
And uh, well, you're the funny going- thing is, I don't think my experience in that area was As anything any di- unique. Right. I think people right. who grew up in other areas uh, might be a little bit different. But I had a friend who grew up in Warwick, yeah. and he was, you know, at that time, people weren't really weren't pulling guns. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. and like you didn't have to worry about that. Like if I grew up today, right. It, it, none of this would have happened because everybody's afraid of yeah. you know you never know who's going to come back after you yeah you know back in those days you 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 fought it was over with yeah and the funny thing is there were kids that i went to high school with who used to pick on me at one point and then when i would fight them i'd stand up to them they would respect me after that and i mm-hmm. would end up becoming friends with people me too who used to fight with me totally it's really weird but those days don't i don't think that happens anymore yeah no i agree i mean i think that back then i mean even when i grew up which was you know i was a high i was a high school i was in high school from 1999 to 2002 even then it felt more like kids were walking around hanging outside their high school going to you know restaurants getting lunch around their high school and there was more of a familial neighborhood quality to it where now that seems like it's less possible. So like your bully or the person you're fighting, you probably know their family. You probably know their brothers and sisters. Maybe your your, your parents might even be friends. So it seems less threatening in that big way. But now it is weird where there's like kind of a little bit more of an unknown. But I had the same thing where I had bullies in high school and it was like I had to stand up to them in some weird big way. And then it would kind of end that. And then we were just friends or at least acquaintances. I just let them cheat off me and nobody beat me up. <laughs> That's pretty good. There you go. Whatever way, yeah. whatever way you get by, Pre- Brad. Preventative medicine. <laughs> just like the pilgrims. So when you were a teenager and you're getting up and you're going to these comic cons on the weekend and first of all, I just want to say it's crazy that you amassed that collection when you were that young because that must have been like a monstrous task, right? Like it must have taken up so much of your time. It took all my time. Yeah. I never studied. I was a terrible student. <laughs> uh, I was basically a C student. At, I went to classical. Yeah. I, I managed classical to... Classical high school. Classical high school. I managed to uh, get in. I passed the entrance exam. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is when I was in grade school, yeah. when they, you took those yearly tests that test everybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I tested in the top 2% of the country. So when I went to middle school, they put me in the gifted program yeah, at nice. Daniel Green. There were three of us yeah. at that school. At, we went to RF Kennedy in Providence, and three of us entered the gifted program, and all three of us got kicked out after one year. Wow. We just were not used to the rigorous yep. Oh yeah, that you needed. So then I went to cl- classical for three years, and then they kind of asked me to leave after my junior year. And then I went to Mount Pleasant, and I tell you, what a difference of going to those two different schools. Yeah. I never picked up a book. I never did anything in Mount Pleasant and practically got straight A's at Mount Pleasant, where at, at classical I was like barely a C student. That's crazy. Um, so how many, you told you know, you said that you had every Marvel book besides like eight of them at some point. I don't. I didn't. I don't think I had Spider Man one, Amazing Fantasy fifteen, right? Fantastic Four number one. Yeah. Uh, X Men one you got. I had X Men yeah. one. Yeah. I had Journey to Mystery eighty three, which is the first appearance of Thor. So, so how many do you think you had? How many books do you think that was roughly? I don't know. I had like there was a room in the basement. It was my father's workshop. Yeah. But by that time, he really wasn't doing a lot with that room, so. I mean, I don't know. They were just boxes everywhere. Yeah. So like thousands, though, it must have been. Oh like, yeah, like like, like 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 I I have no idea what how much that would be. Like like tens of thousands. Like 
I'm trying to think. It, it, so this is like what the 19. What if you're, if you're it's you're like 80s, but it's like 86. 86. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I crazy. well, the thing is, I didn't just have my collection. I had other stuff that. Yeah. Right. I you know you had extra stuff that you bought exactly. with other stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were just boxes. My mother was out of her mind. Oh she, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They hate my parents hated comics. Really? Like it was until because of that, basically. Well, they thought it was distracting me from schoolwork, mm. and it wasn't until I was in college that they finally kind of got over it because I was working every weekend. I was doing shows every weekend, so I was, you know, paying my own bills. I wasn't going, "Hey, I right. need gas money. I need this and this and this." Right. Um, That's so. crazy. So when you're going to comic cons. In your teenage years, on the weekends, and, and selling and buying and stuff like that, did you think of like, oh, maybe I'll pursue this as my as my like career, or were you kind of just having fun at the time? It didn't really solidify as a career until probably my second or third year of college. Yeah, I was going to URI, so for it was mostly for your own interest at that point in time. Right. Then, when you first started, you were just having fun. It's what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was bare money and right. money to buy weed and yeah, yeah, you know, party money. And Did you have any friends that would go with you? Occasionally, yeah, occasionally. But I, it's a long day. I befriended a bunch of the other dealers. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, you know what's funny? Now that you say that, I did have some friends who came with me, and they still resent me because. <laughs> Oftentimes, if we did go someplace far, far away, I'd have to get a hotel room. Yeah. And I'd always, to save money, I'd get a room with one bed, and I'd make them sleep on the floor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying for it, yeah. right? It's funny. One of my good friends, Dave, who used to come with me, mm-hmm. like he manages like the whole region of Target stores, mm-hmm. but he'll still be like, you know, you made me sleep on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Just to come help you out. That's awesome. That's so funny. I, now... Comic conventions have changed somewhat since oh, the mid eighties. Dramatically, 80s. yeah. Um, <laughs> can can you just uh, just run us through what a typical kind of convention would look like on on a Sunday in nineteen eighty six? So, a really good convention, which was at the Holiday Inn in Providence, right? That would probably be about forty dealers. Mm-hmm. They would be from all over New England, right? You'd see a really nice variety of vintage comics. Uh, you could get Golden Age books, Silver Age books. You'd see the big books. You'd see right. Spider-Man 1s right. and Batmans from the 40s. There was very, there was really never any guests right. at conventions in Rhode Island in the 80s and the 90s. Once I started doing shows up in Boston, that's where you'd start seeing guests come around. I mean, I had Jim Lee next to me at a show early on. Yeah. I did a show where Todd McFarlane was at the yeah. show early on in his career when he was, you know, doing Amazing Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. So the show in Boston, the show in Providence, those were like legit great conventions. Yep. But then, you know, I'd hear about a show down in Connecticut, and I'd book the show. Again, you remember, there's no internet at this point. That's true. And I'd book a show. I'd drive down to Connecticut. It'd be in a fireman's hall. And it'd be and there was a lot of mix shows. It'd be like baseball cards, yep, yeah, yeah, just just general collectibles. Yeah, Maybe most of the coins. time it'd be cards and comics, but sometimes yeah. they'd be coin dealers. Yeah. There was a lot of bootlegging of VHS tapes back in that day, yes. so you'd have at least one or two guys selling the Star Wars Holiday Special that you can <laughs> get anywhere else. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. what cool do you get a like Wookiee for Christmas exactly when he's already got a comb? <laughs> they would be, you know. 
I guess the word is podunk. Okay. <laughs> You'd see that a lot. I mean, there would be shows in like Lincoln, Rhode Island that were at like a Knights of Columbus Hall. Right. I'd go do shows and win socket on a Thursday night from, you know, four to eight, five yeah. to nine. And it's like eight to 10 dealers. Uh, yeah, or, maybe yeah. like 15 to 20 okay. at some of those shows. That's cool. It's cool because it, that probably creates a little bit more of a community, though. You know, the fact that there's less people, it's like it's manageable to eventually be kind of be all become friends with those people where a lot of the stuff now, like, you know, the huge comic cons that are around, especially Rhode Island Comic Con um, in, in Boston. It's just like a sea. It's just like a sea of people and a sea of, of booths and a sea of dealers and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of fun because it's almost like a little bit more of like you're all on the same team. Yeah, well, I mean, the shows at that time were all centered around comics and collectibles. Right. You go to any of these big shows now, I know. you can join the army, you can adopt a dog, you can yeah. get vinyl siding, <laughs> yeah. and you can buy comic books. Yes. Yeah. That was never the case right. back in the day. Right. That's so funny. So you're doing this mostly for fun. It's a, it's kind of a... you got to feel at least it's a productive way to spend your time at that Well, point it definitely was not for fun by the time I got to college. No. That was putting gas in my car. Right. It was like and what you did for a job. That's what I did for a job. Wow. At some point, I had recognized that I wanted to do this for a living. Mm. And I tried to get into the business school at URI. Mm. The The top department head was a relative of mine. <laughs> my GPA was off by point oh one. Wow. She would not let me in. <laughs> She's like, I don't want it to appear like it's nepotism. Oh my! She God. would not let me point in. Point oh one. That's By point crazy. Oh one. That's so crazy. I ended up uh, becoming an economics major, okay. which turned out to be better anyway because yeah. I would have ended up just taking management or marketing and focusing on that, where economics just covers everything. So yeah, it right. really did. It was a better turn of events for me. And then there was a store that was in Wakefield called Bat Boy Comics. Mm. And I would go down and visit that store pretty regularly since I was living at URI and yeah. in that vicinity. And I got pretty friendly with the owners there. And I knew I wanted to have my own store, but I had no idea what it took to own a store. Sure. And I said to the guy, I say, listen, if you ever need some help, uh, I'd love to come work in. They're like, well, we can't afford to pay you. I said, I'll tell you what. You guys have tons of back stock in the basement. I'll work for comics because I'll take the comics and go sell them off on the weekends right. and make my money that way. Wow. That's an so entrepreneur. So I really learned the ins and outs of owning a store by volunteering at the store. That's really cool. That's really cool to have the uh, <laughs> the you know the foresight to to say like, well, I'm going to take this, you know, this kind of like hit or like this, uh, I'm going to make this compromise up front because this experience is going to be valuable to me. It's funny because that moment, I think, in every like successful person's story where they do something on their own, that moment happens where they say, I'm going to make this compromise because this experience is going to be important. It's going to be valuable. Yeah, there was another dealer that I had met along the way. It was actually at a convention that was in the basement of a church mm, over on Broad Street in Providence. Yeah. Best kind of conventions. And um, I started off just selling him stuff. And eventually... He didn't really know where to source stuff from, and I did. Mm -hmm. So one day I was like, listen, uh, I'll just take you to this one place. Mm -hmm. So I took him to this. It was actually Murder by the Book on North Main Street in Providence. It's a liquor store now. Yeah. And they he was more into toys. Yeah. Okay. They had all these Star Wars collectibles from the 80s, like plates and cups and all this crap. And I didn't I didn't care about that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I felt bad buying it and selling it to him, making money off of them. Yeah. So I was like, listen, I'll just take you to this place. You can just buy it all and put it in your 
ad in Toy Shop magazine. Right. And we had a good time hanging out. So every Saturday for years, we would hit the road and go find comic book stores, toy stores, department stores, flea markets. And we'd find stuff that we could buy and resell. Yeah. And at one point, we were like, we should open up a store. Yeah. He was a year ahead of me. He was going to Rick. And I had one year left at URI. And he's like, let's open up a store. So we opened up the original store. Yeah. Well, I still had one year left. Wow. At URI. It was actually, it was my fifth year. I had to go five years. Yeah. Hey, so and, did I. <laughs> uh, so that last year, and I saved all my 300 level classes. So that was a brutal year. Yeah. It was all my toughest classes. I had I'd open up the store. I was working full time at the store, and then after I graduated, I just went and continued working at the store. And so, so before this, you were basically lugging around everything to Comic Cons, even the collectibles and everything all the yeah. time. So did it just stay in your cars, basically? No, I take it back home and put it in my garage yeah. or in the basement. Right. Um, so that what store? What location was that? That wasn't this store. That was on Post Road in Walk. It was in the Greenwood section. It was right next door to Pam's Pizza. Okay. And it was it was it was it called the Time Capsule? It's called Time Capsule Comics. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, it was comics right. and toys, um, but the focus was just comics. Right. And then I had that store for five years, and at one point along the way, I realized that I didn't want to live in Rhode Island my entire life. Interesting. So I decided to sell the store. I had a half a million comics, all in alphanumeric order. Wow. I had, My partner had his own separate business. He was doing mail order, uh, wrestling stuff, and toys. Oh, cool. Yeah. He probably, it's the wrestling superstore, the figures toy company. He, he At one point, he was manufacturing all the belts. Wow. Yeah, He's, yeah, yeah. This, he really had a great idea, and he ran with it. And that's... I'll just tell you a little side story. Yeah, he please, had the yes, idea I love of, tangents. I love them. He had the idea of making the belts. Yeah. And he kept approaching Vince McMahon <laughs> to make the belts. The owner of the WWF. Yeah. It's now the to WWE. License, to license the, to make the belts. Right. And for quite a while, I don't know, maybe years, Vince just kept blowing them off. Right. Finally, one day, Vince said to him, listen, kid, give me a million bucks up front. And I'll let you make the belts. Wow. And Anthony had a good business going, and he went to the bank, and the bank loaned him the million bucks. Wow. Jesus. And he started manufacturing the belts. So when you say manufacturing the belts, are they like what, like are they like full-size the replicas, belts? Full-size replicas. Damn. Yeah. And so people could <clears throat> essentially go online and order them and stuff. And so did he start, he started working for them? I would help him out on the side. And in the earlier days, before he got to that point, we were manufacturing action figures. Like we did. How, how are you doing that? Do you have to get in, in, in touch with like yeah, companies like, that would put them together? Like the we molds? would No, we were doing the whole thing. Like we did Elvira. So like we, we, we'd call Elvira up. We're like, hey, we want to make an action figure of you. And so we'd sign a contract with her, and then we'd get a toy sculptor to make the prototype. And wow. Then we'd find a company in China to make the toys. Wow. And uh, how the hell do you... St- that seems like such a big thing to get started. Like, with the comics, it seems more like, you know, you're buying comics, going to a, a con and selling them and making a profit. This seems like a huge amount of... I was really focused on the comics, but right. I was helping him out on the side. Yeah. I was kind of coming up with a lot of the ideas and kind of pointing them in the right direction. Then he'd execute it. Yeah. You know, he was, he'd do a lot of the legwork to get it done. I mean, it was, it was his money. It was his company. Right. I was just kind of consulting. Right, right. To help him out with that. But that's crazy. Yeah. That's really fun. That's really, really fun. 
All right, so you you know, so I decided to sell that store. Well, how how was the store doing? The store was doing really the well. Store was doing really well. I just didn't want to live in Rhode Island my whole right. life. Yeah. So I had all these comics that I accumulated, and the customers would go over to his warehouse. I had the basement of his warehouse. It was off Cranton Street. Yeah. The customers would just go over there. It was an honor system. They'd go over. Tell me how many hours they spent alphabetizing and organized the comics. Then they come back to the store and I give them store credit for back issues. Wow. So the customers put half a million comics all in order. It was wow. over the course of three, four years. Right. That's amazing. I and love it. When it, the time came for me to sell the store, yeah. I had this fully stocked store, half a million comics all in order. I wanted $80,000. Nobody could come up with the money wow. to buy that store. Yeah. So I decided just to start a liquidation sale, started off 50% off, 60% off, 70% off, 80% off, 90% off. Wow. Then you can come into the store with your own empty long box, fill it up for 50 bucks, 40 bucks, 30 bucks, 20, 10, 5. Until you get rid of everything. Yeah. And finally, at the very end, somebody came along and actually bought the store at the very end. It was <laughs> <Nice>. a friend <laughs> of mine. But before that, you could walk into my store with the long box, give me $3, <laughs> and fill it up with wow. as many comics as you wanted just to clear stuff out. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. So what happened? Where'd you go? So I went out to LA. Wow. There was a girl that I had been very friendly with in college and... Uh, this isn't the girl from the Lincoln Mall, is it? No. <laughs> you know, and, uh, things just didn't really work out between the two sure. of us. Plus, I learned a very valuable lesson because I wanted to continue doing collectibles out there. Yeah. The big difference between, as far as collectibles goes, between uh, California and Rhode Island, yeah. attics and basements. Oh, yeah. They don't have them out they there. They don't. That's wow. the best so room for there's them no to hoarders. There's no crazy collectors wow. that have tons of stuff. It was very difficult to find inventory. So, you, in other words, you couldn't really buy from people. It was very difficult. Wow, that's really difficult. interesting. So, th- that along with the horrible traffic at that time in LA, yeah, kind of just pushed me back. So, how long did you stay out there? Seven, eight months, maybe. Wow. Okay. So, so not that long. Not that long. Okay. So you, so you realize like, okay, well, it's not really gonna, it's not gonna flourish here. The same kind of business. So did you want to immediately come back and try again? So what I did is I came back to Rhode Island. Yep. Some friends of mine um, were pointing out this website. They're like, Rob, you got to check this out. This is a website called eBay. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. And, uh, and you're like, so that'll never be anything. When I moved back to Rhode Island, <laughs> yeah, I had no place to live. Yeah. And there were all these people that I had been partying with post-college years. Yeah. They were living in a house down on 108, right near Charlio's. Yeah. It's like five or six people living in the house. They had a bedroom in the basement that was the size of a closet, had bunk beds built into the room. Wow. So I took that room, I bought a computer, started going around finding inventory. I started selling stuff on eBay. Yeah. I started accumulating inventory. I filled up the hallway closet in the basement Started spilling off into the common area. Yep. A friend of mine had the bedroom next to mine. I had introduced him to a girl that I knew. So he actually was staying at her house a lot. So I was like, hey, Jim, can I use your room for like a warehouse and storage? <laughs> yeah. I started um, using that bedroom for more storage. And eventually I was like, I got to get out of here. So I ended up renting a one-room cottage yeah. in Warwick near Rocky Point. Okay. And I was just selling on eBay. 
And then I bought out a video store that was in Patuxent Village. I yeah. filled up the cottage. I, I had these little aisles just to get around. I was selling movies and comics and toys on eBay. That's crazy. And I was like, I got to get a store. Yeah. So yeah. I rented a store <laughs> in Connecticut. It was called, I didn't want to call it the Time Capsule. Right. So I called it Recycled Memories. That's cool. I opened that store up. I hired a couple of people to start helping me ship and list stuff on eBay. Yeah. I had a store, but the store was more there for people to come in and sell me stuff. Yeah. I was out hunting around, finding stuff to buy, and the business was going pretty good. I was there for maybe a year or so, or maybe a little less. My old partner, yeah, his wrestling side of the business had blown up so much that he came to me and said, listen, I like what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. I just bought a whole complex of buildings. You can have my old building. that will set you up at the old warehouse. I'll give you all my non-wrestling inventory. Wow. And we'll, we'll just merge everything and we'll split everything down the middle. Wow. His non-wrestling inventory at that time was probably worth about a million dollars retail. Damn. So I'm like, this guy is giving me a million dollars worth of stuff. Yeah. Retail. This is crazy not to do it. We yeah. got along good. We were still and this good is friends. Like late nineties or Ni- this was ninety nine. All right. Yeah. So really, yeah, his wrestling stuff was taking off at that time. Yeah, yeah like, the right. smoking he, skull belt. Yeah, the Stone Brahma Cold. bull belt. He, I don't think he was making the belts okay. quite yet. That was coming soon. Yeah. Or maybe he, right around that time yeah. he was. Yeah. So I move into that building and I expand to hire more people. We're cranking. Business is great. Yeah. I outgrew, and within a year, I outgrew that building. And yeah. he had bought like five buildings where he was. So I moved into one of the buildings in his complex and we expanded the business. But then for the first time in my life, I took on debt. Because I, I had the shell of a building. I had to build the offices. I had to put up the shelf. Right. I had to pave oh, the parking yeah, yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So between buying inventory and getting this building ready, next thing you know, boom, I'm $150,000 in debt. Wow. So, so where is this building? Is it, right we, near Marchetti's. Oh, okay. It was like, there's like uh, kind of an industrial area near Marchetti's. Okay. And uh, that's where that, that complex was. Yeah. In in uh, in Cranston? In Cranston, yeah. yeah. right. In Cranston, Rhode Island. Okay. Um, right off Park Ave. Right, right off Park. Yeah, okay. So we've got that business going. We're cranking though. I mean, yeah. we're building it up. I've got like 10 people working for me. Yeah. All of a sudden, I get a call from a guy I know. He's got a chain of comic book stores down in Connecticut. He's like, Rob, I got this guy. He he runs a Japanese conglomerate. They want to create the biggest collectibles business in the world. They want a chain of retail stores. They want a wholesale division. They want an eBay division. Wow. And I was like a leader of e- on eBay in the early days. I was like in the top 50 sellers wow. of all of eBay at one point. That's awesome. I mean, eBay was, used to kiss my ass. They flew me out to their very first convention, <laughs> first class. Wow. I walked into my hotel room. There was a, bottles of wine everywhere. There was like a silver martini set. Wow. So for, for them, it must have been like they're trying to you know start this business. And so they're trying to take care of the people that are using it the most and treat them. That's that's amazing because I would never think of it like a like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like eBay doing that. But that's awesome. That's crazy. Because when did eBay start? Like probably like 1996. 
I think in 96, it was still might have been like a Pez website. Yeah. <laughs> I think 97. Was it, it a Pez website? It started off as a site that a guy created to, to <laughs> for him and his girlfriend to buy and sell Pez with other people. <laughs> I had no idea about yeah. that. That's amazing. It morphed into that. That's so By funny. like 98 is when it really started like accelerating yeah. and getting big. But I saw how, saw the potential there. So we just went full steam. That's amazing. Into that. And um, I forgot where we were. No, we were, we're basically at the point where um, the Japanese conglomerate. Oh, so yeah. So the conglomerate yeah. comes to us. Yeah. They come. They check out our operation. Yeah. We show them the books. We started primary negotiation. $2 million. They're going to buy the business. I'm not even 30 years old yet. Jesus. I'm thinking in my head, okay, we'll pay back the 150000 we owe. Right. My partner and I will split the rest, right. pay the taxes. Who knows? Maybe I'll walk away with $700,000. Right. Yeah. So I'm kind of living my life under that premise at this time. And then, boom, what happens next year? 9-11. Mm. My business on eBay dropped like 80% wow. after 9-11. Why do you think that is? People just didn't care about buying collectibles. Like the world wow, was in a state of shock. Wow. Everything was affected. What do you need spawn action figures for if the world's coming wow. to an end? You know? That's crazy. And I've, I've heard about that though. I've heard the idea of like in an economic downturn, that's economic, that basically... Um, like stuff that is uh, fun, like you know, stuff that's like extra, stuff that you don't need, non necessities. Basically, all the cost, like the, the the business for that stuff, goes down a tremendous amount because right. it's like the last thing people care about in terms of when things are really serious. That's crazy. I never would have thought that. Yeah, I not, never would have thought that. Not to that degree. That's, that's crazy. That's a surprise to me. Wow. So you know, I had this huge <laughs> payroll. I had to meet every week. Yeah. We were pumping along, and at some point, I realized all I was doing was paying everyone who worked for me. I don't even think I was getting paid at that point. So I went to my partner, and I said, listen, this is crazy. We, I just have to close this business down. Wow. And he got really upset because we had all this debt. I said, listen, I have never stuck anybody in my life. I will not leave here until I pay off all the debt. Wow. So I let a few people go. We started wholesaling out stuff. I mean, spawn action figures. There was a time when I was selling those for $15 a pop to people in Japan like it was nothing. Yeah. At the end, I ha I ended up selling thousands of them to Ocean State Doblot for $0.80 cents a piece. Oh, wow. my God. Just to get rid of them. Yeah. I paid off all the debt. After it was all said and done, I walked away with $17,000. Right. Damn. Uh, I mean, it's more than $0. But it's not $700,000. sure is not. <laughs> I was just so defeated at that point. Damn. I was like, I got to get out of town. I have family out in LA. Yeah. So I went back out to California. I stayed there for about six months. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I whittled that 17,000 down to 7,000. Yep. yep. And then I realized like, I got to go back to Rhode Island and do something before I have no money. Yeah. So I came back to Rhode Island with seven grand, no inventory and opened up the store in Cranston. Damn. So, the, what year is that? The year opened up. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. So, would you say that the market was correcting itself by then, or do you think that like it, yeah, it definitely had corrected itself back by then. Oh wait, wow, that's so crazy, man. That's such a funny thing. Well, you know what? We'll we'll uh, we'll pause the story here. We'll go to the story that you were telling us off mic beforehand because we were talking about how I do work for Tell Him Steve Dave, and, you know, I do all my film work for them at Jay and Silent Bob Secret Stash, New Jersey. And you were talking about how you went to the, you were, you know, an extra in uh, Chasing Amy. 
That yes. was pro- so that was probably what ninety four. Maybe was that? I what? forget what year it is. Yeah, maybe ninety six. Yeah, maybe. yeah, it came out in ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah, that's so. right. So probably around then. So <clears throat> there used to be a weekly comic book paper called the Comic Buyer's Guide. Yes. And Kevin Smith had contacted them to put an article and said he was looking for store owners, right. convention dealers, publishers. He was putting on a fake comic book convention as part of his new movie. Right. And I had absolutely loved Clerks and Mallrats. Yep. Right. And uh, I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. So I got someone to cover the store and my employee and I, Jim Russo, we went down and we just showed up and we said hey we're here now we had brought a i'd been doing conventions for right. years so i knew what to do and yeah i knew to bring some really cool things to uh, kind of stand out yep. yeah so the camera would want yeah they want to put the cameras on you. so i had a lot of original star wars figures in the packages i had some other vintage toys i brought down like some really great comic books so we got set up in the convention hall and that first day, they shot for 10 hours. Okay. I mean, they just kept circling the hall over and over yeah. and over again. And, you know, they'd take a break. And then at one point, like, all these people flocked to my table. And they were like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We don't Clarence to put Sawa's logo in the movie. Right. So they started covering up all the logos oh, yeah. on all the toys that we had. Yeah. And then it, it occurs to me. I'm like, I can kind of play myself play a little joke here so when we were on break i had all these comic books on my display i pulled them all down and i rearranged them all so if you read the first letter from every comic book there was a secret message on my (laughs) wall i love it which basically said fuck you good yeah Just, just as like a little joke. It's a little in joke. We kind of think I would point out to people later on after they would right. see it on the DVD. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's so funny. The craziest thing is, there was in our scene. They had they had it so that there was a father and a daughter walking up to our table. Mm-hmm. You know, we filmed this over and over oh, yeah. and over right. again. Oh yeah. And this little girl was kind of a little bit of a prima donna, mm-hmm. and there was a person there who was kind of looking after her. And at one point, the person came up to us. They're like, "Listen, don't pay any attention." You know, she's you know she's kind of high on herself, and she's like, "You know, don't say anything to her." But this is that's Howard Stern's daughter. Howard Stern. Yeah. It was like, so I don't know if that was ever true or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If that really was her or not, it could have yeah. been. Like yeah, the yeah. timeline, her age, and everything. Yeah, could have been. Could have been true. Yeah, and I know Kevin Smith was on Stern a lot in those early days. Right, right, right. So it could have been really her. I don't know. Yeah. She was a great kid. She wasn't a jerk or anything. Right, she just, yeah. you know, she had that star quality to her. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as over the whole day, like every person in that movie came up to our booth, Jason Lee, Joey Lord Adams, uh, you know, everybody except yeah. Kevin Smith, Jason Muse, everybody. Because yeah, he was so busy on everything. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. He just didn't have time. Yeah, of course to, not. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, too, because the dealers, it was a fake convention. But whenever there was an opportunity for people to buy and trade with one another, <laughs> yeah. people, people were, were doing that. Money. Yeah, yeah. So we filmed that whole day. Yeah. And then uh, we, we we got a hotel that night. We yeah. went out to the bar. I think some of the people from the movie came. Not any of the big stars. Right. So we yeah. met some of the other background people. So then the next day, everybody had changed their clothes. They had everybody move their booths all into different positions because so, it was a year later. Right, right. So they were trying to make it look like it was a different comic book convention. Right. 
And in the second scene, that's the last scene of the movie. We were right. actually in the booth right next to uh, Joey Adams where she had her booth. Right. We don't we don't appear in the movie. Uh, yeah. Ninety percent of the people who were there in that room never appear in yeah, the movie. Yeah, of course. When they finally put out the special edition, yeah. I figured they would maybe put in the extras. Yeah. No, they didn't put that in there. Uh, but you can see part of my booth. Yes. In the second part. Right. In the last convention of the movie. That's really funny. Are there any secret swear words in that one? <laughs> no. Okay. No, not in that one. That's really funny. But the funny thing is, you know the comic book she creates? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guy that was with me, when nobody was looking on the second day, he swiped a copy. Oh, nice. Right. Yeah. He had a bunch of them there to, for her table? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's really he funny. He still has that. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I remember the uh, the cover of that. That's awesome. All right, so let's look back to your story. You're opening this store. Uh, time capsule in Cranston, Rhode Island, um, and so this is your basically your third time opening a store. Yes, right. Um, and so, where did your inventory come from this time? I was just going out hustling from anywhere I could. I was buying as much as I could for as little as I could. Right. Mm. There was a store that used to be in one socket called Joe's Moldy's Oldies. Mm. And interesting uh, name. Joe was a great guy. He passed away a few years ago. But I was going up and seeing him. I was buying like long boxes of comics from him, cheap. I, like I was just getting stuff anywhere I could just to fill up the place. Yeah. Um, the funny side note to one of the things I've gotten to be known for now is selling records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I opened up the time capsule in 2003, I had two rows set up with tables. I only had enough comic books to fill up one row. Right. I had... I had all these tables completely empty, yep. and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I can't open up a half-empty store. Yeah. When I had the previous eBay business with the warehouses, I had bought out the estate from the guy that used to own the strawberries that was in downtown Providence oh, wow. back yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. I had all these records. I didn't really know a lot about records at that time. I sold them all to a friend of mine for like 250 bucks. I said, listen, take these to the flea market. And sell them for a buck a piece, you'll make a ton of money. Yeah. He's like, okay. Yeah. Luckily for me, he never ended up getting around to do anything with them. So he still had So they all sat in his garage. So when I I call him up and said, hey, sell me all those records back, he's like, sure. Yeah. So I put them all out just to fill up the table. My intention was I'd get more comics, just get rid of the records and be a comic book store again. But- this guy, because he owned the strawberries, had phenomenal records. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the word got out fast that I was selling all these crazy valuable records for like three bucks. Yeah. So P- other stores in Providence, people were coming down. They were like vultures buying all this stuff. And this one day, this older guy comes up to me. He goes, listen, it's none of my business to tell you how to run yours, but you're selling this stuff way too cheap. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, there's a lot of records. They were at 30, 40, 50 bucks. You're selling them for three bucks. I'm like, really? So I grab a stack of them. I look them up on eBay. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah. I pull all the records out of the store yeah. and I realize what I've got here still. Mm-hmm. And that, then I just went out and started buying up record lots wow. everywhere. If, they, if somebody had five, 10, 15, 20,000 records anywhere in New England, I was there buying them all up. Wow. Now, the problem was, I still didn't know what I was doing. So guys were selling me these giant lots of garbage. Yeah. And I was bringing them back thinking that they were all going to be good and yeah. it w- wasn't the case. Right, right. You know, and then I spent 
you know, and I'm still to this day learning about records, but that first seven, eight years, yeah. I just engulfed myself with learning about records wow. and it's turned into a great part of the business. Yeah, it was, yeah, it definitely has. But it was a total accident. That's so funny. So you open the store, you know, you're kind of, you know, going into records kind of unexpectedly and uh, everything. I, I mean, I imagine like you have these relationships with the customers in the area from the other two stores that you owned. That kind of are they following you here? So the second store never had any kind of a following. Okay, I I wasn't selling comics right there like new ones, but when I reopened here, I did get a good amount of my old customers back. Nice. Um, so that was very helpful having a customer base to start off with. Yeah, and I started doing eBay right from the start as well because. It took time for the store to really establish itself. But if I had this revenue stream coming in from eBay, it would make it all worthwhile. Right. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Uh, that's really That's really. Do interesting. Do you remember uh, just, and this is more for my curiosity than anything else, do you remember like the first thing you sold on eBay? Because the very I, like, first thing I sold on eBay, I don't, but okay. I can tell you the most memorable thing I sold I'd in those early days. I'd love to hear about it. Yes. So I don't know if you've ever seen the Providence poster. That that everybody knows about in Providence, like every college kid in Providence, it's done by the Mad Peck. I'm trying to think which which one is it? like. What does it look like? It's like a black and white poster. There's four squares in it. it says most of us live off whole. Oh yeah, the last yeah, yeah the, the rest of us live off of uh, what is it? Is it is it? Wait, what does it say? It's it's black and white. The yeah. whole thing is black and white. I know exactly which yeah, one. Yeah, most people. About. It's very iconic. Yes. So the guy who created that, his name is the Mad Peck. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he and I have been friends for a long time, and. He's a graduate from Brown University, and he stayed in contact with those people. And, you know, he knew I was doing eBay. Somebody at Brown that he knew found in their attic up at Chapachet a Batman number one. Wow. Okay. And I thought I was hot shit at those days. I had 500 feedbacks on eBay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and this guy, Peck put me in contact with this guy, and I said, okay, I'll sell you comics for you, and I'll keep 20%. Right. So he gives me these comics. I put the Batman number one up on eBay. And this is probably all within like the first five, six months I'm selling on eBay. Right. It sells for 7200 bucks. Wow. Okay. And I realized I just made $1,400 in one shot. It was yeah. the most I'd ever made yeah. on yeah. one item ever. I remember just running out of, I think I was living maybe, I don't remember where I was, but I just yeah. remember like running out of my house running into the street my arms in the air just screaming this is the greatest day ever <laughs> yeah weird. that that was very memorable and the, yeah. the follow up to that is that copy that I sold for 7200 has passed hands about five times gotten restored gotten professionally graded the last I heard that copy sold for $50,000 damn that's wow. crazy I didn't even I didn't realize they restored issues I didn't even think about that I didn't know that yeah, actually, one of the most well-known, respected paper restorers. Her name is uh, Susan Ciccone. She she's from she lives up in the Massachusetts area. She used well, to. Yeah, she actually like learned paper conservation at the Vatican. And wow, yeah, that's she, really she's like the premier person who restores comics in this country. That's crazy. That's awesome. I had no idea about that. Um. All right. So you're so you know you're working here. Things are going well. You you unexpectedly jump into records. You're so time goes on. I mean, eventually you do, you must, you know, you're doing well enough to open a second store. When did that happen? Because you opened a store in Seekonk, Massachusetts. 
So that's kind with, of with a our fun buddy story. Jeff. Yeah, that's who I know. Is I know Jeff. I've known him for a long time. So Jeff and I go way back. He, he's the clerk at uh, at the Seekonk store. He's the manager. He's the manager. Let's give him his props. He deserves <laughs> it. He's the one. He's the one who is there every single time I go in, yeah. and I love talking to him. He always tells me that I love comic books that are not for people who like comic books because I love uh, Marvel Zombies and Venom and stuff. And he rolls his eyes every time I ask for something. I love him. He's a great guy. Do you want to have a whole story? Whole yes. story. All right. right now. <laughs> We're going to go back to 1987. Okay. Yes. My gym teacher at Classical, um, Peter Boitano, yes. approaches me one day said, Hey, Uranian, you want a job? I'm like, doing what? He goes, I'm in charge of the concessions at the Providence Civic Center. Cool. He's like, I need someone to come help me sell T-shirts and programs. I love how many people have approached you to do weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> like That happened a million times in this. It's just that's how it is. So I was like, sure. I was like, hey, more money to buy comics. Yep. That's yeah. all it was for me. Yeah. And I, and I was really into music, too. So it was really cool to work down there. So he gives me this job. I'm working at the Civic Center selling programs and selling T-shirts at all the big rock shows and everything. Yeah. And I get to know a lot of the other staff that works at the Civic Center. Now, the way it used to work to get tickets is... They would make an announcement on the radio yeah. of when they were handing out numbers. Yeah, you'd go down, you get a little, a little uh, ticket, and it would have a number on it. That number would be your place in line for when t- tickets actually went on sale. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I worked there and befriended the people who worked <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. I would be the first guy who would get numbers. <laughs> yes. And I wouldn't just get one; I'd get three or four because I realized very quickly that I could buy up all the front row tickets of all the shows. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I sort of became like that guy from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yep. I was scalping tickets like crazy <laughs> when I was in high school. Yeah. And when I was set up at the comic book conventions, some people would find out, and Jeff found out that I had tickets, and Van, Hal- Van Halen was playing in the Civic Center, yeah. and he really wanted good seats. So I sort of met Jeff by scalping tickets to him to go see Van Halen. <laughs> and we sort of became kind of friendly after yeah. that. And then at one point, he was my very first employee at the original Time Capsule oh, wow. in Warwick. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. He worked for me for about a year. Yeah. And he was a great worker at the beginning. And, you know, he got days ago and you know he was doing he was in like a heavy metal cover band at one yes. point yeah i think he, he actually had moved out to california to be in this like heavy metal cover band or something yeah but he was working for me at the time for about a year and it just wasn't working out so i was like i'm gonna have to fire jeff yeah. now my partner with the wrestling business he needed some additional help with his business so he goes well can i hire jeff i said absolutely yeah. so, so jeff comes in yeah. so jeff comes in the next day i go jeff i have some good news and some bad news <laughs> i said the bad news is you don't work here anymore the good news is we're giving you a raise and you're gonna work over in the warehouse for anthony yeah so he he just went off and worked for anthony at <laughs> yeah. the wrestling superstore <laughs> but we had stayed in contact because i'd go see him i'd have to go over to the warehouse and because my comics were there and everything yeah. so we stayed friendly and then um, years later, I had started playing trombone just on a total whim. <laughs> yeah. It actually was from like a weekend of taking mushrooms. <laughs> I had this vision of playing 
the trombone. So after that weekend, I went and bought a trombone. Uh-huh, of course. Started teaching myself how to play the trombone. Did you do you listen to music that includes trombones? I mean, I not, love not I, a lot. I listen, <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a punk band. And punk rock and ska really like kind of crossover. So I love a lot of ska music. So I didn't know if maybe <laughs> not really. No, not really. It's just I like the idea of playing trombone. Sure. And I started practicing. I started playing with a few people. Yeah. And uh, there's a band in Rhode called Foxtrot Zulu. Yep. And I was really good friends with those guys. And I told them I was playing trombone. Yeah. And they one of their horn players couldn't make a gig. Yeah. At the Bonview Inn. And they're like, Rob, why don't you come sit in? I go, uh, I've only been playing for six months. I've never played with anybody. Yep. We've never rehearsed. They're like, listen. I don't like the trombone. Yes. You've seen. They I haven't like, had those mushrooms in a long time, okay? <laughs> they're like, you've seen us so many times. You know the songs inside and out like we do. Yeah. Just come and sit in and play. I go, I'll come in. I'll just play like three songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, fine. Just come down. Yeah. So I go down. I'm so nervous. I've oh, never yeah. been on stage before. Yeah. They call me up. I play the three songs with them. The crowd goes berserk. I get off stage. Yep. I know when to get off. Yep. When getting's good. <laughs> I get people are patting me on the back. People are buying me drinks. And I said to myself, "This is the greatest thing ever." <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I want to be in a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I knew Jeff was in uh, bands and everything. So I told Jeff, I'm like. This is so great. I want to be in a band. He yeah. goes, his band had just broken up yeah. that he was in. He's like, me and a couple other guys are going to get together. We're going to start jamming at this practice space. Why don't you come down? So I go down and we start vibing really good. Yeah. And we create this band out of nothing. And it was called the Jazz Bastards. And I was in the band for 12 years. Wow. With Jeff. <laughs> now, at one point, my partner, we weren't partners anymore. Right. He decided he wanted to move the whole business down to Florida. Wow, okay. He had offered Jeff a position to move down to Florida, offered to pay him to move down there. Jeff did he didn't really want to go. Yeah. And at the time the band was doing really good. Right. And I didn't want Jeff to go. Right. So he basically has to choose between his job and his band. Right, because he because he's working for the guy still. At that yeah, point. Well, he didn't care. Jeff, I don't think Jeff cared enough about the band <laughs> not to take the job. He okay. needed a job. Right? Yeah, right. So I said I just couldn't let the band break up. Like Jeff was very important to the band. He wrote a lot of the music. Um, you know, we needed Jeff to be in the band, and I was having such a good time in the band. I said, you know what, Jeff, I'll open up another store. You can manage it. <laughs> I'll match your pay. That you're making right now. So you open the Seacock time capsule <laughs> to so save the, the band. Ja- the jazz bastards. Yes. <laughs> That's how that ba- that store was open. Is what kind of band is the jazz are the jazz bastards? Straight up jazz? No, bastards? no. That's the thing. That, yeah. That's the thing that Jeff hates the most in the whole world. It's not jazz at all. <laughs> yeah. It's imagine the Allman Brothers meets Frank Zappa. Oh, that's okay. cool. That sounds really fun. We, yeah. we sort of ended up in the jam band scene. Right, right. At that time when there was a jam band scene. Yeah. And uh, yeah, not yeah, not jazz at all. That's so funny. So what what year is this? <laughs> um, you know, I I'm not even sure the timeline. I, yeah, I, I kind of forget. Yeah, the timeline of all that. Well, you opened Cranston in 2003, so maybe. Well, actually, wait. Think about it. So th- that store is almost 10 years old. So probably like 2010. 
Yeah, probably around, yeah, that. around that time period. That's so funny. So, you, did you, were you thinking about opening a second store before? I'd then? always thought about it, but yeah. it, was, it scared the hell out of me because yeah. I had never had two stores. I right. didn't understand the logistics right. of how that was all going to work. Yeah. Um, then it was a big decision where to put it. Yeah. And everything, and um, and it's but, like it's like it's is is part of it a question of if you you know one of the things that happens with comic book stores is there's comic book stores have like this these vastly different degrees of like cleanliness organization stuff like that so if you have you know a really well organized really clean welcoming comic book store you don't know i think i mean i'm asking basically how far people are saying i'm willing to drive this far for it because this is the best one in the area right so how far away do you have to open another comic book store to not cannibalize your own uh people that are coming in right that was a huge concern right Customer what I base. finally realized, and people don't like to cross the bridge. <laughs> That's true. In this area, if you live in Narragansett, yeah. you don't drive past the tower. Wow. If you live in Seacock, Fall River, right. that whole area, they do not cross that bridge to come into Providence. Wow. That's interesting. So I knew that there was... So you mean it ends basically where East Providence ends for them? Yeah. They're not going to come past the I mean, split. obviously there's plenty of people who do. Yeah. Yes, right. But for the most part. For the most there's just a lot of people who don't like to cross the bridge. Similar yeah. to like Aquidneck Island where they we have Newport, Portsmouth, Tiverton. A lot of people don't go off of Aquidneck Island. Right. There wasn't any other store any other like really stores that I was worried about right. competition-wise up the 195 corridor. Yeah. I was like I think this is, even though it's like 15, 20 minutes from here, it's kind of like a whole different thing. Sure. And oddly enough, I went and worked. We had, we've never had a sale at that store for nine years because we never had enough parking. And we've been trying to get the Speedway, which is our neighbor, to let us use one of the lots for additional parking. Because if not, people park across the street and people do 60 miles an hour. That's I didn't true. want anybody to get hit by a car. So yeah. I'm like, we can never really do a sale. We finally, after nine years, got them to agree to rent us the lot next door. So we had our very first sale there this past Saturday. That's the right. The first day. Today, today is, it's today, March 14th. Yes, today, today is March, March 14th. 14th. That's when we're recording. And yeah, we just, you guys just had a sale. There. I just saw that. It ended yesterday. It was right. five days. Right. I went to go work the second register. Yes. And, I mean, I promoted the hell out of it to get people from Cranston to go there as well. But there was a lot of people there I've never laid eyes on. Yeah. That's great. They go to Seacock. They don't come down to Cranston. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because where I live, I live in Warren, Rhode Island, and it's right on the edge of Warren and Barrington. And for people who aren't around here, I'm probably like, I'd say about eight minutes from the Seacock store. I just go right up to the back roads of Barrington and I'm right near the Seacock store. So that's my store. Um, and... Whenever I have to go, so whenever I go during the week, I would just go to that store. But then when we'd make a day where we were going to go to a few different places, I would always go to both time capsules. But you're right, though, because that area, you know, it's different, too, because I think about the retail, like the retail strips in every area. And in Cranston, there's like the big Warwick retail strip that you're kind of close to. And then in Seekonk, there's a big retail strip. And that's probably where a lot of people are kind of doing their general business and going to the stores. Right. That's what makes sense to me. Yeah. That's interesting. That's great. So the sale went really well. It did. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I honestly, I went to the Seekonk store for a while before. Um, I think I came, like, I came here, like, you know, like maybe like a couple times, but then the Seekonk store became my home store for a long time. So that's so funny. You opened the store to keep the band together. Yep. And it was a good choice. It worked out really well. Absolutely for quite a while. That's and then awesome. It just got to a point where 
I just had enough. Yeah, I mean, twelve years was was a good run. Yeah. When did the, when did the Jazz Bastards stop playing? I think maybe a year or two after I quit. Oh yeah, they they stuck. Oh well, when did, when did you quit? When did you quit? I want <laughs> maybe five years ago. Wow. Yeah. And you just and it was just a lot. I mean, I know from playing shows that like traveling to gigs with a lot of. Um, Equipment is kind of a pain in the ass, and it, it is a big. We had a lot of equipment. Yes, especially that's, Jeff had a lot of equipment. Yeah, that's I, yes a lot. I so, now here's the funny thing is I started off playing the trombone. Yeah, but the trombone fit into just some songs. Right, and then I forgot whose idea. Probably was Jeff's idea. He said, "Why don't you play the congas as well?" So I started playing the congas, which again I had never played before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of just kind of figured it out as I was going along. Yeah. And we recorded one album, and we played the trombone on some of the tracks on that album. But as time progressed with the band, the trombone just got left behind. Right. Um, and I, I would just find any kind of instruments to play that I would I would hear. A, they would play a song, and then I would listen to it. And I'm like, this needs maracas. Yeah. This yeah, needs a shaker. Yeah. And then one day, I don't know what possessed me. Uh, Josh Jackson, who was in the band, he wrote a song called "The Salvation Army." Yeah. And I picked up a washboard. Yeah. And I started playing the washboard nice. to that song. And it just, it was like peanut butter and jelly yeah, together. Yeah. And it was such a great novelty yes. that people loved it. And then they ended up like writing in me doing a solo on the washboard nice. in the middle of the song. Good. And Jeff, would, he would, as he's getting ready to introduce me doing the solo, he really hypes it up in the song. That's it, awesome. it was hilarious. And people loved it. And like we would, some, we'd play in front of crowds and, I'd go and like do my washboard solo, and even if I didn't even do it that great, people would just go bonkers over it. It was pretty funny. That's awesome. So, I mean, you know, the store's the store's been here now sixteen years. The this November time, will be sixteen years. Time capsule in Cranston. The other store has almost been around for ten years. Yes, that's awesome, man. And you're and you're kind of a big part of like a lot of the art scene because I remember we had uh, Jay Mayo on, who is. Um, you know, a storyboard artist uh, as well as a, just a comic artist, and he made his uh, Tales of Rocky Point Park um, comic book. Is that what is that the name of it, or is that the name of the documentary? It's both. It's yeah. both. Both of them the same name, right? So what happened is in the original Time Capsule comics, uh, Jim Russo, who, who was now went, who was with me at the Chasing Amy, we decided to put out a comic book. Yes, and it was like a like a half size print, you know, right. photocopied comic. It was called Fib. We got seven or eight local artists everybody did a couple of pages That's we awesome. did two issues back in the day at the old store yeah and then you know that was it and then when i opened up here within the first couple of years i was like you know what let's do a real comic book full size color cover we put i put the word out to all the customers and everybody hey we're gonna do a, a comp local comic we'll bring back the name call it fib again we were discussing the cover and we ended up having a gigantic robot version of Buddy Cianci fighting the big blue bug. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> the big, you know, if you don't know Buddy Cianci, he's a famed uh, criminal. <laughs> in, infamous mayor. Yeah, an I, infamous I like criminal him. mayor from from Providence. and then uh, the Iconic. Big, iconic. And then the big blue bug is uh, kind of a Rhode Island landmark. Absolutely. It was in Dumb and Dumber, and uh, it's kind of a, you know, a symbol that a lot of pe- people use for the state in general. That's awesome, though. That's so funny. And one of the people who did a story for that fib was Jay Mayo. Right. Yes. And 
I think I was a little bit friendly with him at the time, but not too much. Then after he contributed to that, we started becoming a better better friends. We put out the first issue. I think I printed 3,000 copies. Wow. We sold, I think, 1,500 of them. So okay. we, we more than broke even. Yeah. I considered it a success. Yeah. I said to the, all the guys who did the book, okay, oh, the theme of that first issue was Providence. Right. Makes sense. Right. I said, okay, do a story about Providence. Everybody did their stories. You know, we, we would get together and have meetings at IHOP, and we'd get together and we'd figure everything out. Yeah. I said, okay, we did it. Let's do a second issue. The theme is Rocky Point. Right. Everybody's excited. Rocky Point is a big uh, a theme park that people know uh, from Rhode Island that closed down a long time ago, but the imagery lives on and kind of the fond memories live on. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I just, so, want, I just want to give an explanation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I take all the stuff for granted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I give everybody a deadline. I said, yeah. okay, get your st- at least get your roughs done by this time. Right. We have the next meeting when everybody's supposed to have this stuff done. Jay Mayo was the only, only guy <laughs> who had his six pages done. I was so furious at everyone else. I told them all to go screw. <laughs> I said, Jay, do you want to just do the whole book? Wow. He goes, I would love to. Wow. So Jay, instead of doing fib number two, Jay did the whole book and we called it Tales of Rocky Point Park. Oh, that's awesome. It did. Then we got Benny's to sell it for us. And they sold tons. I think we sold 5,000 copies. Wow. Mostly because great. of Benny's. Like yeah, they yeah. put in every Benny's. They were so supportive yeah. of us. We ended up second printing the yeah. first issue. So I said, RJ, do another one. So he does a second issue. Again, boom. We sell out. We do really good. He does a third issue. It's like a final issue yeah. of the issue, of it. He, we Same thing. Benny's carries it. We promote it here in the store. Did really well. We finished that all up. And then I said to him, all right, we should reprint it in a book form, in a trade form. But so we can get all the people who already bought it to buy it again. Let's do 16 extra pages of all memorabilia. Yeah. So we filmed, we took pictures of all this Rocky Point memorabilia. Yeah. We stuck it into the, the trade paperback. Boom, sold a ton of trade paperbacks. So after that's all said and done, he and I are sitting around. We've become good friends at this point. Yeah. I said, well, what do we do next? Yeah. He goes, let's make a movie. I go, well, make a movie? Okay. <laughs> what, do, what do we need? What, it's make a movie? Okay. Yeah. Without even asking for an explanation. <laughs> what, wh- where do we start? He goes, I need a camera. Yeah. I said, okay. I said, go online. Find the camera you need. I'll buy the camera. Yeah. So he finds a good camera that's going to be good to shoot the movie in. I buy it. And then over the next five, six years, he's shooting whenever he can. I knew based on that trade, I Jay wanted to be a professional artist. That was his goal in life, to yeah. be a working artist. Yeah. And all he, these he did ho- the storyboards for the movie The Town with Ben Affleck. Many movies. Yeah, yeah many movies. Oh, he's done He did um what's it called? The uh, the boxing one that came out a couple years ago. And I remember that he did it because when I saw the trailer I loved the sh- the overhead shot of the winding road right before the uh, the accident. Is it called Bleed for This? Yeah, the Vinnie Paz Bleed. story. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I love this. I thought the cinematography was awesome, and I loved the the shot. And then I saw that he was the storyboard artist on that. Yeah, he's done a lot of storyboards. And I remember after we had the trade paperback, I said to him, 
I said, this is your submission to get into the world of yes. storyboards. And I think the first one he did was Underdog. Yes, he did Underdog. And, you know, he had given them the copy of the book. Yes. And once he got that job, I said, you're off now, pal. I said, now that you've got Underdog under your belt, that's going to lead to the next one. Yeah. And the next one. And it's just going to keep going from there. Yeah. And it, and it did. I mean, I remember last time we, we had him on in October of 2016 is when we had him yep. on. And I remember he was working on The Purge, the newest Purge movie at that point in time. Yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's so funny. That's it's so funny that the uh, that it led to the movie from the book. That's such a big jump, but it worked really well. I mean, I remember watching it. I loved it. Yeah, we had him on. He told his whole story on our podcast before too, and it was a great episode. It was really really fun. That's crazy. It's cool that you're you were just down to kind of jump into these creative projects, you know, because business is kind of one thing where you have this kind of business, you know, it's 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 this numbers mind of kind of looking at stuff and saying, what can I do with this? How do I do this? But the idea of jumping into the art side with the washboard or like the idea of the documentary and the book and everything, that's a really interesting second, you know, part of that. It's like a second side to you. What's always driven me is the challenge myself to see what I can accomplish. Yes. that That's all it, it's ever been for me is like, what am I capable of doing? Yeah. I mean, I've failed at plenty of things, but I've succeeded at plenty as well. And yeah. You know, you just keep going, and my mind's always like, "What's next? Right. What, what am I going to do next?" And right. At some point, I'm like, "Why am I trying to do anything else?" Like, <laughs> yeah, like no, you yeah, said, exactly. I'm going to be 50 in a couple of years, and I'm like, "Do I really need any more aggravation in my life?" Yeah, and, right. I'll say one of one of Chuck's expressions is, uh, "You got to find yourself wars to win." Yeah, and uh, and so it's the idea of seeking out these other different. Challenges. Sometimes strange challenges. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, keep yourself invested and interested and, yeah. you know, give yourself a reason to get out of bed. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. That's really, really, really fun. Yeah. And the, the store is awesome. The Time Capsule in Cranston, the Time Capsule in, in Cranston, Rhode Island, Time Capsule in Seekonk, Massachusetts. Um, I, I'm sorry. We were just talking about movies and uh, off mic. Yes. You told, you told us the beginning of the Chasing Amy thing. And then you said later uh, that you ran into Scott Mosher at some point and the story continued. Oh, I was so going to ask for the follow-up. At San Diego Comic-Con yes. three years ago or four years ago. Scott, sorry, for those of you who don't know, Scott Mosher is Kevin Smith's producing partner, and he also recently directed the animated Grinch film. And he was the producer on Chasing Amy. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yes. I was, in, I was at San Diego Comic-Con. Okay. And it was over in the Artist Alley. And I'm walking around, and I see Scott. And he's just, you know, he's just there. Nobody knows. Nobody even recognizes yeah. him. So I walk up to him, and I say hello, and I start talking to him, and... I'm pleading with him. I'm telling him the story of of the comics and right. of the the secret message. And he loved it. He was laughing. Oh, yeah. And I was like, is there any way to get any of that footage? Or is it going to be on a special edition? Right. He's like, uh, I don't know. He's like, we'll see. And, yeah. You know, but it was, yeah, he was getting a good chuckle out of the whole That's thing. That's great. I, I don't. I wonder if he actually went back to see it. <laughs> and he's I like, oh, yeah, the truth. It, it does say fuck you. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> you got one over on me. That's like, awesome. <laughs> and it was funny, too, in the early sort of the early days of eBay, I, a, an invoice comes across my desk, and it's Walt Flanagan. And I'm like, yeah. really? And then, yep. so for years, like, Walt was buying stuff from me on eBay. Walt Flanagan from uh, Jan and Bob's Secret Stash and Tell Him Steve Dave. Yep. That's right. One of my, my, one of my bosses. Maybe my main boss now. Possibly. Weird. It's yeah. very funny. Yeah. He bought quite a few things for me back in the day. It's yeah. probably been a while since he's bought anything. Now yeah. that he's got this opportunity, everything comes to him now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that was great, man. That was, that was an awesome story. That's crazy. And you still go and do cons and stuff like that? I haven't set up at a show 
probably 15 years. Oh, really? So you just went to Comic-Con? Oh, no, I did. I did Rhode Island Comic-Con one time. I went through all the trouble of getting the booth, yeah. going down there, setting it all up. Yeah. And then 80, 90% of the people who were there to buy comics were all my customers. And I'm like, I just paid $700 to yeah. sell to my own customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But you see, so you just went to Comic-Con for fun a couple years ago? I was sort of on track. I was going out to San Diego Comic-Con every, like, every other year. The last few years, I just haven't gotten out there. But yeah. I've been many times. That's cool. That's really fun. That was awesome, man. That was, that was a great story. I loved it. I loved I loved all that stuff. You, uh, I was hoping for a great story, and you exceeded my expectations. Absolutely. That was awesome. Well, thank you. And if, uh, if you're in the Rhode Island area or the Massachusetts area, come to the Time Capsule in Cranston, Rhode Island, or the Time Capsule, time capsule in Seekonk, Massachusetts. Um, it's definitely my main place that I go for comics and collectibles. We do... You know, as we get older, it's harder to get out that much more often. That that often, but we have certain days where we'll set aside and we'll go to like a bunch of different stores like that. And every October, for the past seven years, um, me and Brad and some combination of our friends were trying to hunt down these uh, these <laughs> these specific Ninja Turtle action figures that were the Universal Monsters version of them. And over the years, I've gotten six of the eight that came out. You're not done yet? We, I can't. I, the last two, I don't know if we're ever going to find them. Because they were the ones that were the the second, you know, they were the, the later ones. And I don't think that that many were produced. It's even in these, of the four that were produced that time, I think these two were had less production numbers than the other ones. I don't know if we're ever going to find them. I believe in us. <laughs> Me too. But we come in, we come in, we just, uh, yeah, I have my spreadsheet of all the stuff I'm looking for. And we dig through the back issues and uh, it's always such a it's a great time it's really fun but yeah man thank you very much for sitting down with us this is great if people want to check out the time capsule on social media what what it, like uh, we're all over facebook okay yeah uh, just, instagram just i think it's time capsule ri okay yeah the time capsule.com yeah, yeah that's great by the way one of my favorite memories about this store specifically was when we discovered the uh the Jimmy Olsen and Superman comics or Superman and Jimmy Olsen and the title or the, the cover pages are always so bizarre and misleading. One of them was Jimmy Olsen being forced to dig his own grave. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember the story, but I, I, I just look at the covers of those. Oh, and which one enough. you need to see? What's there's it? one with there's a photograph of Don Rickles on the cover. <laughs> Love it. I love it. It's so bizarre. And I, I wouldn't know about that if not for the time capsule here in, in Cranston. So. Yeah, that's right. Awesome, man. This is a long time coming. I'm glad we finally set up the time and sat down and did it. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. a lot. Absolutely. Thank you to Rob Uramian. Yes. <laughs> Score. <laughs>